Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. Well, we're very excited that we have Doug Schwartz from Quinnipiac here with us, actually live here in the studio. I guess not live, but is recorded in the giant uh, sound booth here, who happens to be at the office here at PSB. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for literally coming by, not even just figuratively coming by. Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the show. Good. Yeah, well, it is now is now proof since we caught you on a hot mic, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most benign hot mic moment ever <laughs> in politics. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about Quinnipiac Poll. I mean, we obviously refer to you guys a lot. We cite your numbers a lot. You have a new national poll out this week, uh, the day before we're recording this. Tell us a little bit about the history of Quinnipiac and your role with it and, and what you guys are are doing. Sure. So Quinnipiac got into the polling game in 1988. It was started by a marketing research professor who used the poll as a teaching tool about survey research and just did a few Connecticut polls a year. And then uh, the university wanted to expand the poll and they brought me aboard in 1994. They wanted to do polling in New York State, New York City, New Jersey. So we expanded the poll um, there. And then after a few years and some polling on Hillary Clinton uh, running for the Senate in 2000, um, the university said, you know what, let's make this national. Let's go national. And we started to do national polls. And as you guys know, there are many good quality national polls. So we decided um, to try to find uh, an area that really wasn't being pulled much that could uh, get national exposure for the poll. And that's when we started to do our swing state polling. Uh, we started polling in Pennsylvania, Florida, Ohio. And in 2008, we did our first swing state package of those three states where we polled simultaneously in those states and, and would release it. Um, now we're, we've taken on a second swing state package, Iowa, Virginia, and Colorado. So we'll be doing two swing state packages uh, d during this election. Um, what we see sort of as our niche is, well, one, we're an independent poll. Two, uh, we poll on state issues, not just on um, elections. So if we go into a state like Pennsylvania or Ohio, we stay in the state after the election. We continue to pull on the governors, the senators, the state legislature, and state issues. So every few months, you can count on a Quinnipiac poll in that state. Uh, 
We also, by the way, are a regular New York City poll. Um, there's no other uh, New York City poll out there. There'll be a mayoral election next year. Um, so that's sort of our, our story. Yeah, and I, I have heard of Quinnipiac University because of the polling. This will sound a little silly, but when I was in college, I was in a sorority and we had like a national convention where, you know, you got together with the presidents of all the chapters. And there was, there is a chapter of my sorority at Quinnipiac University. And so at the big Alpha Chi Confab, like I'm in college, but I'm like, you're at Quinnipiac. I've heard of you guys. You have the poll. And like the poor girl from the, she was like, yeah, I guess. Like, what do you, yeah, she wasn't a political science major or anything. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's, I, I imagine, I mean, is that a part of why, Quinnipiac University pursues some of this research to, you know, it, it, yes. it does put the university's name on the map. Absolutely. Um, it is. It's a, a great way for the university to get known. I mean, universities are in the knowledge business. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. And this is sort of an extension of that. We're putting out public opinion information um, and the university is getting better known because of it and uh, makes alumni feel proud of the university when they hear the university on the national news. Um, and one of the things that people might not know is as we've spread out into these different states uh, that I mentioned, Ohio and Florida, the university actually gets more applicants from these states. I always love stuff like that. Like I remember after wow. George Mason University made the final four in the NCAA tournament back in like 2006 or seven or something, they said like applications to George Mason went through the roof, like because people... You know, just I guess if you're thinking about where you want to go to college, just having heard of an institution, right. there's ID. so many out there. Yeah, just it gets you on the map. That's right. Like, oh, I'm not sure how I've heard of them. I, that name sounds familiar. Yeah, that sounds good. I think they have a good rep, right? I mean, it's just increasing hard IT. Um, so, so I can see yeah. how that'd be valid. Now, do you have students do the call? We do. So tell us about how that works. It's Is that a, a required class. Is no, it's uh, they want people want to take. They're like, that is what I want to do. Or it's both. Them. It's good pizza money. Mm. Um, <laughs> ten- they get paid. That's good. Exactly. It's a, one of the highest paying jobs on campus. And plus, you don't have to worry about when it rains. It's indoors. It's a, it's a nice job, but you really have to work. You can't do your homework uh, doing this job in which a yep. lot of college students, you know, you work at the library and you can do your homework. This is one of those jobs you can't do. So I, I have to ask, though, about the how do you it's the, the quality control question. And yes. The reason I ask is a friend of mine who went to another university that has a named poll, not Quinnipiac, uh, was at uh, at his, the wedding and all of the groomsmen, they'd all gone to this college. And while we were going from the ceremony to the reception, they we drove by this college and stopped at it. And they started telling like stories about like, oh yeah, we were, we did like the polling and we would like show up on Sunday mornings, like totally hungover and like say we did a couple of interviews. And I was like, oh, you guys, this is not okay. Like they thought they were telling this funny story. The and I'm like, of the oh my gosh, like, relationship has been violated. Oh, I was <laughs> horrified. So, I mean, this was, this was not. Quinnipiac poll, but like, how do you, how do you train students and like get them? I mean, love college kids, but understanding the realities, it has to be a challenge to like, you know, make sure that they're, they're doing things up to code. I mean, tell me a little bit about that process. How do you train students to like do this effectively? Absolutely. Now we're very proud of the fact that we do this in house. I mean, as you guys are well aware, the industry has gone into 
uh, going out to phone banks and hiring outside phone banks to do the calling for their polls. We are one of the few polls that are still in existence that does everything themselves. Mm -hmm. And we do this because of the quality control. Not that we think some of the outside phone banks are bad, but we are obsessive in about our quality and, and having control where we know exactly how the calls are being done, mm -hmm. how the data is being collected. We don't have to worry about somebody else doing it and sending it to mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. This is within our control, um, and it has been from the very beginning. Uh, how do we train these students? Now, I should mention, since we're a year-round operation, it's both students and non-students. Oh, okay. Um, when the semester is over, as you know, we don't stop. We're going to be polling all summer. Uh, you know, one of the things about getting a, a, a gig at a college, I thought I'd have summers off. <laughs> not true. I do not have summers off at all, especially presidential election years. Um, so as far as the interviewer training goes, they go through a four-hour uh, training to start with. We are insistent that they follow the script exactly as it's written, that they don't give any feedback, that they probe for unclear or ambiguous responses. Um, we have our um, supervisors who not only can listen in and do listen in to the interviews as they're being conducted, but they can follow along on their computer screen and seeing what data is being entered mm -hmm. and make sure that the data that's entered is accurate, that they're recording the responses accurately. On top of all that, we will call back. Um, we'll do something called a recall. About 10% of the respond will get called oh, wow. back and we will ask a few questions just to make sure that they actually did the survey that night. So we are all about sets um, my mind at ease much more after quality. hearing that one horror story. Oh, yeah. I was Verification. like, That's important. I will not name the college, but I will never look at their polls the same again after I heard that. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, and it's in, just the challenge of, uh, you know, it's yeah. just the challenge <laughs> of interviewing. I mean, it's tough. It, you know, these are tough jobs because there's the impersonal connection with respondents and, you know, the temporal nature of it. And, you know, so sometimes there's turnover and, you know, that's why people would tout IVR as a, as a way, a workaround effect, because then the names are always pronounced correctly in the same way. You know, everything is being read exactly the same way every single time, even though that has its own shortcomings as a methodology. So that's interesting, right? I mean, I yeah. guess if you own that process, it's like, you know, companies that own the supply chain, at least vertically, it's a vertically integrated polling operation. Yes, yes exactly, <laughs> right. exactly, exactly. And we all talk to each other. So, you know, for me, I'm not only talking to the people that are programming our surveys, um, I'm talking to the people that are on the floor at night saying, how are we doing? How's the survey going? Um, you know, any complaints, that sort of thing, any problems with questions, mm -hmm. do we, anything that we have to fix, that sort of thing. Are we getting enough interviewers because, you know, okay, we've got this goal of a thousand registered voters. Um, you know, is anything that we need to worry about? Are we getting a lot of cancellations or we're in constant communication? There's, I think the other interesting piece of what you all do is not just that you all do this in house, but that you release a lot of cross tabs. We talked about this on the show a few weeks ago. This is one of the things I love most about you all is that you. you guys release full cross tabs so that I can see for myself, does it look like the, this subsample is right or that subsample is right? Um, and I, I think that is 
so enormously important. Uh, tell me a little bit about why you all do this and, and you know, why, why that because it does, it does make you different. We yeah. know it's a pain, right? Yeah. We know it's a pain because you got to check them. It's just another deliverable to like hustle and put online and also leaves you open to people right. saying, well, why do you have 30% in this group? I mean, it leaves you open to criticism and. Sure. Um, and thank you for, for asking that. Again, this is something that I think tends to separate us from other polls mm-hmm. is this transparency and disclosure. Now, you guys probably know that APOR has this transparency initiative. Uh, we're one of the polls that is part of that. We believe in putting out as much as possible. Basically, it comes down to trust, right? That if you can see everything, you will trust us. Um, you can trust our numbers. We'll put everything out. And yes, Marjorie, you're absolutely right. Sometimes that can come back to bite us because we'll put out something where somebody doesn't like the results of the poll. They'll go looking in those demographics and try to find some nugget there that they can say, well, we don't think that's right. And you're two points off on this and whatever, and nitpick. Um, so I, I realize that there is a downside to it, but I think the upside is worth it, that people know they can trust us because we put everything out. And actually, that raises, for me, a question I'd love to ask you guys are in a different world than I am in terms of with the campaigns. Uh, I've always had this, uh, I've had a good relationship with campaign pollsters. I love talking to campaign pollsters because we can say, hey, I'm doing it this way. I'm using a listed sample. You guys are doing RDD. Maybe that's why we're seeing different numbers. And it's great informally, but I've always asked campaign pollsters, I say, please, please, can you, you know, share with me more? Tell me what person, you know, okay, I've got my poll, this percent Hispanic or whatever. What about you guys? And then they can't share with me or, or, or certainly not publicly. They can't share those kinds of details. And I sometimes feel like it's a one-sided relationship. Like, <laughs> here it is. I'm giving you everything. And I get nothing back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think it would be so cool. I know, you know, I would love it if if more of the campaign pollsters and just to be totally clear, I'm not talking about you guys specifically. We've never actually talked about this stuff before, but I'm just curious as from your vantage point about the campaigns and disclosing what they do, why it would be great if we could see more. Do you think I that's think possible? Part of the reason why professional pollsters in the, the you know, corporate or for-profit or whatever world, or I mean the campaign, they work for campaigns, but they're a for-profit firm. Why they don't share this stuff is because they don't want to share it with their competitors, I think on their own side of the aisle. So for instance, I've, as a Republican pollster, I have done a lot of work with Democratic pollsters where we wind up swapping a lot of notes like that because we have to in order to get the project to to work effectively. but it's the sort of thing where if I were ever working on a project with other Republican pollsters, I, I can see people being more cagey about that and then, you know, wanting to share it with a public pollster. I think people hold some of that stuff really close to the vest because it's like their secret sauce. Like you disclose it if you have to do it to get a project done or if you have a paper after the fact that you want to release. But I think that's part of why so many people in the professional, we do this as our, you know, paid job and have clients world hold on to that stuff is because of that we're not it we're in the knowledge knowledge producing business for money <laughs> right i mean right. and there's also like there's also strategy involved too, yeah right and and you don't want to reveal too much about your client's strategy so if your client's strategy is you know you're looking you're assuming a different racial and ethnic composition 
then, you know, maybe you don't want other folks to know what what sort of ethnic exactly. composition you're assuming or how many different criteria you're looking or scenarios you're looking at. I mean, one thing that Monmouth did that I thought was quite useful, I'm right about this Monmouth, that they released a poll that showed a variety of different scenarios for turnout simultaneously. I think it was in New Hampshire. Like, here's if independents all went Republican, this would be what would happen. If they all went Democratic, this is what would be, you know, what would happen because that was an open primary where independents could vote in either primary. And so they, that was something that was unusual and it was interesting. I mean, one of the things that, and, and the other piece of it is what demo, what partisan pollsters are selling is not just the number itself too, is like the strategy and the consultation. Right. So there's less of the, um, there's less of sort of the pressure just like to be transparent as your differentiator. Like that's not, you know, necessarily, you know, one, you have clients going, Oh, whoa, wait, don't, I don't want you to be transparent with my data. And, you know, that's not what ultimately gets people hired is transparency. But for media outlets, I think what makes people trust their numbers or at least want to hear what a pollster has to say is transparency. Yeah. So I think, you know, I guess everybody's got different, you know, it's a different kind of market, even though when people think of pollsters, they think of media pollsters, ultimately, you know, the the private and campaign pollsters, the, the market, it seems identical, but it really is slightly different in terms of what people are selling in their value added, I guess, but that's let, a good way to answer your question. Let me ask you this. I've noticed more campaign poll data being reported by the media. It seems to me a trend. Now, do you guys think that's a good thing or a bad thing coming back to this idea of transparency? Because you're not seeing the question order. You're not knowing if that matchup number was the one at the top of the survey yeah. or the one at the bottom of the survey a- after other questions that would affect that matchup. Yeah, or is that a that's true. You know, you're totally right. And like that stuff doesn't get covered so much because it's not often in presidential races. That's like down ballot kind of stuff. Usually I don't think there's hasn't been that much coverage of internal uh, presidential polling, I haven't seen a whole lot. Like, I saw, like, somebody allude to, like, I hear on background, Jindal has, you know... What are you talking about? Eight. Trump's always talking about, about the polls. Don't don't, like, what are you talking I don't about? I like, a tweet with a bunch of <laughs> random stuff in it. But, like, I saw one story about, like, Jindal says he has he's at eight in Iowa. That was, like, him releasing, like, you know, I'm doing better than you think, polling. Um, but that's, all, that's it. And I guess... It shows how I pay too much attention to this stuff if I remember that particular, you know, nugget. But um, but on, like, congressional races and Senate races, people are often releasing memos like, look over here, you know, even though we start off down when they hear more information, we're tied. And if you don't release what that information is or if you're a little cagey about, what, you know, where it is in the survey, then – you know, it, you can't get a short-term jolt. It's long-term bad for your client and bad for you, but there's not that much accountability in the world for that. The accountability is really with, like, the handicappers, like the Charlie Cooks of the world who see every single one of those memos and they know who is kind of fudging it and who isn't. But yeah. Outside of, like, that group of, like, 10 people, I don't know if there's that much accountability for people to do exactly what you said. It's very easy to be like, you know, looky here, and somebody will write it, you know, even if it's just a, a blog, a partisan blog or something, you know, somebody will write it. If you release some numbers, somebody will do something with it. Um, but you're right. It's There's there's no, there's very little standard there. If you don't care about getting in Huffington Post and you just want it out there somewhere, then, you know, then people do it. There's, you know... Don't you think at a cost so tr- of their own mm-hmm. reputation, but you know they just worry about that another day, I guess. 
And with social media, I just think it's more, you see more of it, right? I mean, people just tweet out, you know, sort of these numbers from whatever Democrat, Republican, mm -hmm. and it's out there for. Right. Or the early exits, which make Kristen. Oh, I go nuts about early exit polls. They're garbage. Don't tweet them. Listeners. <laughs> Don't Doesn't tweet them. Me. You can send them to me. I don't care. I'll, I'll be responsible with them. <laughs> People it's don't not, know what I they're have doing. Like, I have like a thousand pet peeves way ahead of that one. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing that we like to talk about on this show is the questions that are interesting. So everybody loves to talk about the horse race. You know, people yep. will release their horse race polling. Oh, I'm up by X. But it's a lot of the other questions that I think give us a better picture of what's going on out there. What are the other questions? I mean, you all are some of the best that you ask. You ask the horse race and then you ask a lot of fave on faves. Like, I can right. always go to a Quinnipiac poll and there's a fave on fave for like everyone. Right. I mean, especially during this Republican season where there were, you know, everybody and their uncle was running for president. I could always, you guys always had fave on faves for everyone or for a lot of people. And that was, that was very good and helpful for someone like me to figure out whose support is real or not real. What are the other questions that you all try to make a priority of asking or that you want to start asking over the course of the cycle? Well, I think the one that sort of got the most attention was the honest and trustworthy question on Hillary Clinton. Yeah. I, we did it on Donald Trump as well, but it, it was maybe about a year ago in one of our national polls and then I think also in our swing state polls where it was really low. Um, I believe it was probably in the 30s of voters saying she's honest and trustworthy. And that was just set off, boom, like, holy cow, voters really don't trust Hillary Clinton. And so, you know, we just asked sort of the standard pollster type question, but it was received as if it was some big surprise. Like, oh, my gosh, you know, we've just found out that Hillary Clinton isn't trusted. Now we do the same questions on Donald Trump and he's not trusted either. Um, so that that's a big one. The leadership question, I think, is a really important one because that goes to Donald Trump's strength. Um, people view him as a strong leader. Now they also view Hillary Clinton as a strong leader. Um, the cares about you is interesting. It's a, a question that um, gets at empathy and Democrats need to do well on. It's not a question that Hillary Clinton does great on, but it's also not a question that Donald Trump does that well on either. So I like the traits. Um, the other thing that I like that we haven't done a ton of, we, we've done some uh, questions are open-ended questions about the candidates. Um, that, to me, uh, you could get the best information about what's driving voters. Um, you know, the type of question that Michigan used to ask for many years in their polls about, you know, is there anything in particular about the candidate that would make you want to vote for that candidate? Mm -hmm. And then the respondent can give like up to five reasons why they might want to vote for that candidate. And then it asks the same thing, but in the negative direction. Tell us the things about that candidate that would make you want to vote against that candidate. Again, open-ended. The pollster's not, you know, giving the, mm -hmm. the choices. I love those questions. Now, they're extremely hard to code oh and gosh. make sense of. 
But I'm verbatims are amazing and horrible all at the same time for that reason. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love them. I wish pollsters would do more of the open ends. That would be the one thing that I would we ask for. We talked to Frank Newport, and he said that they were working on more, doing more open ends. I mean, that's, Great. Like, I think, one of the challenge from Gallup. I think one of the challenges for the media polls, because private polling, candidate polling, they do qualitative all the time. You know, there's all kinds of qualitative stuff. It's just not as sexy to release because it doesn't have a number on it, and, you know, people keep that's use it to inform the quantitative, but the media outlets don't typically do a lot of qualitative. So you know, so I think that sometimes you know we look at the we look at the traits and we look at the you know maybe there's a coded open end, maybe you know there's not as much messaging, maybe there's some one like forced choice question. But I think one of the areas that's missing from the political dialogue frequently is public qualitative, aside from. Fantastic Walmart Moms project. <laughs> Got a, a lot of traction. But it's one of the few qualitative, pro- and the stuff we would do uh, purple with Bloomberg. So that was one of the few places where there was like real public qualitative, but it's still not as common as obviously the, you know, onslaught of daily quantitative that comes out. So I guess my last question for you then is about methodology. So you all do primarily phone polling. That's right. That's right. So how are you thinking through? I mean, we were just talking about how we were both at the APOR conference. We both were there seeing the standing room only sessions about non-probability sampling and the new ways that people are doing research. How are you all thinking through what the Quinnipiac poll might look like four or eight years from now? Yeah, so we're keeping an eye on the developments, but we're not going to be the leaders in the the online uh, non-probability world. We're going to continue to do the traditional uh, live interviewer RDD polls. Um, the major change for us has been the cell phones. Yeah. So now it's about half of the population is cell only. So that's what we've been doing since 2010. You just see every year you have to up the percentage of cell phone calls that you make. About half of our calls now are, are cells. Um, that's the main direction that we're going in is, you know, do as good quality as possible of the traditional RDD uh, polls, doing more of the cells. And it seems like the direction is going that eventually it's going to be all cells, right? That eventually that's what we're going to, the phone polls will be calling only cell phones. So that's where I see us going event, um, at some point. Um, having said that, I certainly want to keep our eye on all of the developments in the online polling world. I'll tell you that I do prefer the probability online polls. Um, th- those would be the ones that I'd be more likely to, to go for. Um, but I'm keeping an open mind to all, to everything really and, and just keeping an eye on it. I have great respect for pollsters that do the online polling. I know Anthony Salvanto at CBS does a lot of work with YouGov and I know, uh, John Cohen. Uh, Mark Blumenthal doing the Survey Monkey. So lots, I have a lot of respect. Those are really smart guys doing the non-probability um, online polls. So I'm going to keep watching. Uh, it will be interesting to see how they do. It'll be interesting to see how the live interviewer RDD polls like, um, like Quinnipiac does in, in the upcoming election. Great. So, you know, do you have any final thoughts as we wrap up um, about, you know, we have a lot of graduate students and college students who listen to the show, you work with college students, like, do you have advice for folks who want to go into this field? 
Oh, um, it's a great field. I love it. Um, I'm a political junkie and it's sort of, I lucked out in terms of finding this job that I mentioned at Quinnipiac 22 years ago. Um, they were, you know, looking for a political junkie who n knew about polling. Um, so it, back then there weren't, you know, there weren't that many right now. It, now there's a lot. Yeah. Country before country is cool. Uh, <laughs> That's right. So I, I feel very lucky. So yeah, if you love public opinion as I do, you love voting, you love um, studying how people feel about the issues and what motivates them. I think it's a great field to get into. I would recommend doing um, what I did, which was I got a master's in survey research at the University of Connecticut. Um, so I think do some graduate work or get a certification, get some of that extra uh, knowledge in sampling, questionnaire design, data analysis. Um, I, I, I would definitely rec recommend that. Um, and then go with your, your passion. I, I feel like I'm, I've got to live my dream in terms of a job. So I would encourage others that are interested in the same to do that. Great. Great. And how should people find you on Twitter or, uh, find Quinnipiac on Twitter? Yeah. Um, at Quinnipiac poll or at Douglas, uh, J Schwartz. Um, great. Or uh, definitely check us online uh, in terms of our website. We're going to be doing some new things um, over the next few months to it, trying to make it more accessible, uh, more searchable, uh, www.quinnipiac.edu. Great. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Doug. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Well, we're very excited that we have Doug Schwartz from Quinnipiac here with us, actually live here in the studio. I guess not live, but it is recorded in the giant uh, sound booth here, who happens to be at the office here at PSB. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for literally coming by, not even just figuratively coming by. Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the show. Good. Yeah, well, it is now, it is now proof since we caught you on a hot mic, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most benign hot mic moment ever in politics. <laughs> Um, so tell us a little bit about Quinnipiac Poll. I mean, we obviously refer to you guys a lot. We cite your numbers a lot. You have a new national poll out this week, uh, the day before we're recording this. Tell us a little bit about the history of Quinnipiac and your role with it and, and what you guys are, are doing. Sure. So Quinnipiac got into the polling game in 1988. It was started by a marketing research professor who used the poll as a teaching tool about survey research and just did a few Connecticut polls a year. And then uh, the university wanted to e expand the poll and they brought me aboard in 1994. They wanted to do polling in New York State, New York City, New Jersey. So we expanded the poll um, there. And then after a few years and some polling on Hillary Clinton uh, running for the Senate in 2000, um, the university said, you know what, let's make this national. Let's go national. And we started to do national polls. And as you guys know, there are many good quality national polls. So we decided um, to try to find uh, an area that really wasn't being polled much that could uh, get national exposure for the poll. And that's when we started to do our swing state polling. Uh, we started polling in Pennsylvania, Florida, Ohio, and in 2008, we did our first swing state package of those three states where we polled simultaneously in those states and, and would release it. Um, 
Now we've taken on a second swing state package, Iowa, Virginia, and Colorado. So we'll be doing two swing state packages uh, during this election. Um, What we see sort of as our niche is, well, one, we're an independent poll. Two, uh, we pull on state issues, not just on um, elections. So if we go into a state like Pennsylvania or Ohio, we stay in the state after the election. We continue to pull on the governors, the senators, the state legislature, and state issues. So every few months, you can count on a Quinnipiac poll in that state. Uh, we also, by the way, are a regular New York City poll. Um, there's no other uh, New York City poll out there. There'll be a mayoral election next year. Um, so that's sort of our our story. Yeah, and I, I have heard of Quinnipiac University because of the polling. This will sound a little silly, but when I was in college, I was in a sorority and we had like a national convention where, you know, you got together with the presidents of all the chapters. And there was, there is a chapter of my sorority at Quinnipiac University. And oh so God. at the big Alpha Chi Confab, like I'm in college, but I'm like, oh, you're at Quinnipiac. I've heard of you guys. You have the poll. And like the poor girl from the, she was like, yeah, I guess. Like, what do you, yeah, she wasn't a political science major or anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, I, I imagine, I mean, is that a part of why Quinnipiac University pursues some of this research to, you know, it, it, yes. it does put the university's name on the map. Absolutely. Um, it is. It's a, a great way for the university to get known. I mean, universities are in the knowledge business. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. And this is sort of an extension of that. We're putting out public opinion information um, and the university is getting better known because of it and uh, makes alumni feel proud of the university when they hear the university on the national news. Um, and one of the things that people might not know is as we've spread out into these different states uh, that I mentioned, Ohio and Florida, the university actually gets more applicants from these states. I always love stuff like that. Like I remember after wow. George Mason University made the final four in the NCAA tournament back in like 2006 or seven or something, they said like applications to George Mason went through the roof, like because people... You know, just I guess if you're thinking about where you want to go to college, just having heard of an institution, right. there's ID. so many out there. Yeah, just it gets you on the map. That's right. Like, oh, I'm not sure how I've heard of them. I, that name sounds familiar. Yeah, that sounds good. I think they have a good rep, right? I mean, it's just increasing hard IT. Um, so, so I can see yeah. how that'd be valid. Now, do you have students do the call? We do. So tell us about how that works. It's is that a, a required class? Is, no, it's uh, they want people want to take. They're like, that is what I want to do. Or it's both. That... It's good pizza money. Mm. Um, <laughs> ten... they get paid. That's good. Exactly. It's a, one of the highest paying jobs on campus. And plus, you don't have to worry about when it rains. It's indoors. It's a, it's a nice job, but you really have to work. You can't do your homework uh, doing this job in which a yep. lot of college students, you know, you work at the library and you can do your homework. This is one of those jobs you can't do. So I, I have to ask, though, about the how do you it's the, the quality control question. And yes. The reason I ask is a friend of mine who went to another university that has a named poll, not Quinnipiac, uh, was at uh, at his, the wedding and all of the groomsmen, they'd all gone to this college. And while we were going from the ceremony to the reception, they we drove by this college and stopped at it. And they started telling like stories about like, oh yeah, we were, we did like the polling and we would like show up on Sunday mornings, like totally hungover and like say we did a couple of interviews. And I was like, oh, 
you guys, this is not okay. Like, they thought they were telling this funny story, the and I'm like, oh my gosh. The like, relationship has been violated. Oh, I was horrified. <laughs> so, I mean, this was, this was not the Quinnipiac poll, but like, how do you, how do you train students and like get them? I mean, I love college kids, yeah. but understanding the realities, it has to be a challenge to like, you know, make sure that they're, they're doing things up to code. I mean, tell, tell me a little bit about that process. How do you train students to like do yeah. this effectively? Absolutely. Now we're very proud of the fact that we do this in house. Yeah. I mean, as you guys are well aware, the industry has gone into uh, going out to phone banks and hiring outside phone banks to do the calling for their polls. We are one of the few polls that are still in existence that does everything themselves. Mm -hmm. And we do this because of the quality control. Not that we think some of the outside phone banks are bad, but we are obsessive in about our quality and, and having control where we know exactly how the calls are being done. Mm -hmm how the data is being collected. We don't have to worry about somebody else doing it and sending it to mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. This is within our control, um, and it has been from the very beginning. Uh, how do we train these students? Now, I should mention, since we're a year-round operation, it's both students and non-students. Oh, okay. Um, when the semester is over, as you know, we don't stop. We're going to be polling all summer. Uh, you know, one of the things about getting a a gig at a college, I thought I'd have summers off. <laughs> not true. I do not have summers off at all, especially presidential election years. Um, so as far as the interviewer training goes, they go through a four-hour uh, training to start with. We are insistent that they follow the script exactly as it's written, that they don't give any feedback, that they probe for unclear or ambiguous responses. Uh, we have our um, supervisors who not only can listen in and do listen in to the interviews as they're being conducted, but they can follow along on their computer screen and seeing what data is being entered mm -hmm. and make sure that the data that's entered is accurate, that they're recording the responses accurately. On top of all that, we will call back um, we'll do something called a recall. About 10% of the respondents will get called oh, wow. back and we will ask a few questions just to make sure that they actually did the survey that night. So we are all about... Sets um, my mind at ease much more after quality. hearing that one horror story. Oh, yeah. I was Verification. like, oh, that's important. I will not name the college, but I will never look at their polls the same again after I heard that. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, and it's in, just a challenge of, uh, you know, it's yeah. just a challenge <laughs> of interviewing. I mean, it's tough. It, you know, these are tough jobs because there's the impersonal connection with respondents and, you know, the temporal nature of it. And, you know, so sometimes there's turnover and, you know, that's why people would tout IVR as a as a way a workaround effect because then the names are always pronounced correctly in the same way you know everything is being read exactly the same way every single time even though that has its own shortcomings as a methodology so that's interesting right I mean I yeah. guess if you own that process it's like you know companies that own the supply chain at least vertically it's a vertically integrated polling operation yes, yes exactly, <laughs> right. exactly exactly and we all talk to each other so you know for me I'm not only talking to the people that are programming our surveys um, I'm talking Talking to the people that are on the floor at night, saying, how are we doing? How's the survey going? Um, 
you know, any complaints, that sort of thing, any problems with questions, mm -hmm. do we, anything that we have to fix, that sort of thing. Are we getting enough interviewers? Because, you know, okay, we've got this goal of a thousand registered voters. Um, you know, is anything that we need to worry about? Are we getting a lot of cancellations or we're in constant communication? There's, I think the other interesting piece of what you all do is not just that you all do this in-house, but that you release a lot of crosstabs. We talked about this on the show a few weeks ago. This is one of the things I love most about you all is that you. you guys release full crosstabs so that I can see for myself, does it look like the, this subsample is right or that subsample is right? Um, and I, I think that is so enormously important. Uh, tell me a little bit about why you all do this and, and you know, what, why that because it does, it does make you different. We yeah. know it's a pain, right? Yeah. We know it's a pain because you got to check them. It's just another deliverable to like hustle and put online and also leaves you open to people right. saying, well, why do you have 30% in this group? I mean, it leaves you open to criticism and. Sure. Um, and thank you for, for asking that. Again, this is something that I think tends to separate us from other polls mm -hmm. is this transparency and disclosure. Now, you guys probably know that APOR has this transparency initiative. Uh, we're one of the polls that is part of that. We believe in putting out as much as possible. Basically, it comes down to trust, right? That if you can see everything, you will trust us. Um, you can trust our numbers. We'll put everything out. And yes, Margie, you're absolutely right. Sometimes that can come back to bite us because we'll put out something where somebody doesn't like the results of the poll. They'll go looking in those demographics and try to find some nugget there that they can say, well, we don't think that's right. And you're two points off on this and whatever, nitpick. Um, so I, I realize that there is a downside to it, but I think the upside is worth it, that people know they can trust us because we put everything out. And actually, that raises for me a question I'd love to ask you guys are in a different world than I am in terms of with the campaigns. Uh, I've always had this uh, I've had a good relationship with campaign pollsters. I love talking to campaign pollsters because we can say, hey, I'm doing it this way. I'm using a listed sample. You guys are doing RDD. Maybe that's why we're seeing different numbers. And it's great informally, but I've always asked campaign pollsters, I say, please, please, can you, you know, share with me more? Tell me what person, you know, okay, I've got my poll, this percent Hispanic or whatever. What about you guys? And then they can't share with me or, or, or certainly not publicly. They can't share those kinds of details. And I sometimes feel like it's a one-sided relationship. Like, <laughs> here it is. I'm giving you everything. And I get nothing back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I think it would be so cool. I know, you know, I would love it if, if more of the campaign pollsters and just to be totally clear. I'm not talking about you guys specifically. We've never actually talked about this stuff before, but I'm just curious as from your vantage point about the campaigns and disclosing what they do, why it would be great if we could see more. Do you think I that's think possible? Part of the reason why professional pollsters in the, the you know, corporate or for-profit or whatever world, or I mean the campaign, they work for campaigns, but they're a for-profit firm. Why they don't share this stuff is because they don't want to share it with their competitors, I think, on their own side of the aisle. So, for instance, I've, as a Republican pollster, I have done a lot of work with Democratic pollsters where we wind up swapping a lot of notes like that because we have to in order to get the project to, to work effectively. Um, but it's the sort of thing where if I were ever working on a project with other Republican pollsters, I, I can see people being more cagey about that. And then, you know, 
wanting to share it with a public pollster, I think people hold some of that stuff really close to the vest because it's like their secret sauce. Like you disclose it if you have to do it to get a project done or if you have a paper after the fact that you want to release. But I think that's part of why so many people in the professional, we do this as our, you know, paid job and have clients world hold on to that stuff is because of that. We're not it. We're in the knowledge, knowledge producing business for money. <laughs> right. I mean, right. and there's also like, there's also strategy involved too, yeah. right? And, and you don't want to reveal too much about your client's strategy. So if your client's strategy is, you know, you're looking, you're assuming a different racial and ethnic composition, then, you know, maybe you don't want other folks to know what, what sort of ethnic exactly. composition you're assuming or how many different criteria you're looking or scenarios you're looking at. I mean, one thing that Monmouth did that I thought was quite useful. I'm right about this mom that they released a poll that showed a variety of different scenarios for turnout simultaneously. I think it was in New Hampshire. Like here's if independents all went Republican, this would be what would happen. If they all went Democratic, this is what would be, you know, what would happen because that was an open primary where independents could vote in either primary. And so they, that was something that was unusual and it was interesting. I mean, one of the things that, and, and the other piece of it is what Demo, what partisan pollsters are selling is not just the number itself too, is like the strategy and the consultation. Right. So there's less of the, um, there's less of sort of the pressure just like to be transparent as your differentiator. Like that's not, you know, necessarily, you know, one, you have clients going, Oh, whoa, wait, don't, I don't want you to be transparent with my data. And, you know, that's not what ultimately gets people hired is transparency. But for media outlets, I think what makes people trust their numbers or at least want to hear what a pollster has to say is transparency. Yeah. So I think, you know, I guess everybody's got different, you know, it's a different kind of market, even though when people think of pollsters, they think of media pollsters, ultimately, you know, the the private and campaign pollsters, the, the market, it seems identical, but it really is slightly different in terms of what people are selling and their value added, I guess, but that's let, a good way to answer your question. Let me ask you this. I've noticed more campaign poll data being reported by the media. It seems to me a trend. Now, do you guys think that's a good thing or a bad thing coming back to this idea of transparency? Because you're not seeing the question order. You're not knowing if that matchup number was the one at the top of the survey yeah. or the one at the bottom of the survey a- after other questions that would affect that matchup. Yeah, or, mean, is that a That's true. You know, you're totally right. And like that stuff doesn't get covered so much because it's not often in presidential races. That's like down ballot kind of stuff. Usually, I don't think there's hasn't been that much coverage of internal uh, presidential polling, I haven't seen a whole lot. Like, I saw, like, somebody allude to, like, I hear on background, Jindal has, you know... What are you talking about? Eight. Trump's always talking about, about the polls. Don't don't, like, what are you talking I don't about? I like, a tweet with a bunch of <laughs> random stuff in it, but, like, I saw one story about, like, Jindal says he has he's at eight in Iowa. That was, like, him releasing, like, you know, I'm doing better than you think, polling. Um, but that's, all, that's it, and I guess... It shows how I pay too much attention to this stuff if I remember that particular, you know, nugget. But um, but on, like, congressional races and Senate races, people are often releasing memos like, look over here, you know, even though we start off down when they hear more information, we're tied. And if you don't release what that information is or if you're a little cagey about, wh- you know, where it is in the survey, then – you know, it, you can't get a short-term jolt. It's long-term bad for your client and bad for you, but there's not that much accountability in the world for that. The accountability is really with, like, the handicappers, like the Charlie Cooks of the world who see every single one of those memos and they know who is 
kind of fudging it and who is it. But yeah. Outside of like that group of like 10 people, I don't know if there's that much accountability for people to do exactly what you said. It's very easy to be like, you know, looky here and somebody will write it, you know, even if it's just a, a blog, a partisan blog or something, you know, somebody will write it. If you release some numbers, somebody will do something with it. Um, but you're right. It's, there's, there's no, there's very little standard there. If you don't care about getting in Huffington Post and you just want it out there somewhere, then, you know, then people do it. There's, you know, don't you think at a cost social- of their own mm-hmm. reputation, but you know, they just worry about that another day, I guess. And with social media, I just think it's more, you see more of it, right? I mean, people just tweet out, you know, sort of these numbers from whatever Democrat, Republican, mm-hmm. poll, and it's out there for. Right. Or the early exits, which make Chris. Oh, I go nuts about early exit polls. They're garbage. Don't tweet them. Listeners, <laughs> don't tweet them. Me. You can send them to me. I don't care. I'll, I'll be responsible with them. <laughs> people it's don't not, know what I they're have doing. Like, I have like a thousand pet peeves way ahead of that one. <laughs> <laughs> So the other thing that we like to talk about on this show is the questions that are interesting. So everybody loves to talk about the horse race. You know, people will release their horse race polling. Oh, I'm up by X. But it's a lot of the other questions that I think give us a better picture of what's going on out there. What are the other questions? I mean, you all are some of the best that you ask. You ask the horse race and then you ask a lot of fave on faves. Like I can always go to a Quinnipiac poll and there's a fave on fave for like everyone. I mean, especially during this Republican season where there were, you know, everybody and their uncle was running for president. I could always, you guys always had fave on faves for everyone or for a lot of people. And that was, that was very good and helpful for someone like me to figure out whose support is real or not real. What are the other questions that you all try to make a priority of asking or that you want to start asking over the course of the cycle? Well, I think the one that sort of got the most attention was the honest and trustworthy question on Hillary Clinton. We did it on Donald Trump as well, but it it was maybe about a year ago in one of our national polls. And then I think also in our swing state polls where it was really low. Um, I believe it was probably in the thirties of voters saying she's honest and trustworthy. And that was just set off boom, like, holy cow, voters really don't trust Hillary Clinton. And so, you know, we just asked sort of the standard pollster type question, but it it was received as if it was some big surprise. Like, oh, my gosh, you know, we've just found out that Hillary Clinton isn't trusted. Now we do the same questions on Donald Trump, and he's not trusted either. Um, So that that's a big one. The leadership question. I think is a really important one because that goes to Donald Trump's strength. Um, people view him as a strong leader. Now they also view Hillary Clinton as a strong leader. Um, the cares about you is interesting. It's a, a question that um, gets at empathy and Democrats need to do well on. It's not a question that Hillary Clinton does great on, but it's also not a question that Donald Trump does that well on either. So I like the traits. Um, the other thing that I like that we haven't done a ton of, we, we've done some uh, questions, are open-ended questions about the candidates. Um, that, to me, uh, you could get the best information about what's driving voters. Um, you know, the type of question that Michigan used to ask for many years in their polls about, you know, is there anything in particular about the candidate that would make you want to vote for that candidate? And then the respondent can give like up to five reasons why they might want to vote for that candidate. And then they don't ask the same thing, but in the negative direction. 
Tell us the things about that candidate that would make you want to vote against that candidate. Again, open-ended. The pollster's not, you know, giving the, mm-hmm. the choices. I love those questions. Now, they're extremely hard to code oh, and gosh. make sense of. But I'm Verbatims te- are amazing and horrible all at the same time for that reason. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love them. I wish pollsters would do more of the open ends. That would be the one thing that I would we ask for. We talked to Frank Newport, and he said that they were working on more, doing more open ends. I mean, that's, Great. Like, I think, one of the challenge from Gallup. I think one of the challenges for the media polls, because private polling, candidate polling, they do qualitative all the time. You know, there's all kinds of qualitative stuff. It's just not as sexy to release because it doesn't have a number on it. And, you know, people keep that's use it to inform the quantitative. But the media outlets don't typically do a lot of qualitative. So, you know, so I think that sometimes, you know, we look at the we look at the traits and we look at the, you know, maybe there's a coded open end, maybe, you know, there's not as much messaging, maybe there's some one like forced choice question. But I think one of the areas that's missing from the political dialogue frequently is public qualitative. Aside from Fantastic Walmart Moms project. <laughs> get a lot of get a lot of traction, but it's one of the few qualitative pro- and the stuff we would do uh, purple with Bloomberg. So that was one of the few places where there was like real public qualitative, but it's still not as common as obviously the you know onslaught of daily quantitative that comes out. So I guess my last question for you then is about methodology. So you all do primarily phone polling. That's right. That's right. So how are you thinking through? I mean, we were just talking about how we were both at the APOR conference. We both were there seeing the standing room only sessions about non-probability sampling and the new ways that people are doing research. How are you all thinking through what the Quinnipiac poll might look like four or eight years from now? Yeah, so we're keeping an eye on the developments, but we're not going to be the leaders in the the online uh, non-probability world. We're going to continue to do the traditional uh, live interviewer RDD polls. Um, the major change for us has been the cell phones. Yeah. So now it's about half of the population is cell only. So that's what we've been doing since 2010. You just see every year you have to up the percentage of cell phone calls that you make. About half of our calls now are, are cells. Um, that's the main direction that we're going in is, you know, do as good quality as possible of the traditional RDD uh, polls, doing more of the cells. And it seems like the direction is going that eventually it's going to be all cells, right? That eventually that's what we're going to, the phone polls will be calling only cell phones. So that's where I see us going event, um, at some point. Um, having said that, I certainly want to keep our eye on all of the developments in the online polling world. I'll tell you that I do prefer the probability online polls. Um, th- those would be the ones that I'd be more likely to, to go for. Um, but I'm keeping an open mind to all, to everything really and, and just keeping an eye on it. I have great respect for pollsters that do the online polling. I know Anthony Salvanto at CBS does a lot of work with YouGov and I know, uh, John Cohen. Uh, Mark Blumenthal doing the Survey Monkey. So lots. Of, I have a lot of respect. Those are really smart guys doing the non-probability um, online polls. So I'm going to keep watching. Uh, it will be interesting to see how they do. It'll be interesting to see how the live interviewer RDD polls like um, like Quinnipiac does in, in the upcoming election. 
Great. So, you know, do you have any final thoughts as we wrap up um, about, you know, we have a lot of graduate students and college students who listen to the show. You work with college students. Like, do you have advice for folks who want to go into this field? Oh, um, it's a great field. I love it. Um, I'm a political junkie and it's sort of I lucked out in terms of finding this job that I mentioned at Quinnipiac 22 years ago. Um, they were you know, looking for a political junkie who n- knew about polling. Um, so it, back then there were, you know, there weren't that many right now. It, now there's a lot. Yeah. Country before country is cool. Uh, <laughs> That's right. So I, I feel very lucky. So, yeah, if you love public opinion, as I do, you love voting, you love um, studying how people feel about the issues and what motivates them. I think it's a great field to get into. I would recommend doing um, what I did, which was I got a master's in survey research at the University of Connecticut. Um, So I think do some graduate work or get a certification, get some of that extra uh, knowledge in sampling, questionnaire design, data analysis. Um, I I would definitely recommend that. Um, and then go with your, your passion. I, I feel like I'm, I've got to live my dream in terms of a job. So I would encourage others that are interested in the same to do that. Great. Great. And how should people find you on Twitter or, uh, find Quinnipiac on Twitter? Yeah. Um, at Quinnipiac poll or at Douglas, uh, J Schwartz. Um, great. Or uh, definitely check us online uh, in terms of our website. We're going to be doing some new things um, over the next few months to it, trying to make it more accessible, uh, more searchable, uh, www.quinnipiac.edu. Great. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Doug. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.